0: Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Breast Cancer Conversations. I am so excited that you are joining us. If this is your first time, welcome. If you tune in week after week, I am so glad you are here yet again for another entertaining episode of Breast Cancer Conversations. Before we get started, I would love to send out a huge thank you to all of our donors, supporters, and sponsors for making our podcast possible, specifically GE Healthcare. Because of GE Healthcare's support, we've been able to go out and find experts in the field and bring you the latest and greatest in content. Where do I even begin? I am so excited for today's episode. I am joined with Dr. Dibble and Dr. Rausch. Dr. Dibble is a radiologist, fellowship trained in nuclear medicine and molecular imaging with expertise in breast cancer imaging. She is an assistant professor of diagnostic imaging at the Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University. Dr. Rausch is a professor of diagnostic radiology at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. She holds a dual appointment in the abdominal and breast departments. Dr. Rausch is the director of molecular breast imaging and the director of the functional imaging lab. Dr. Roush is a recognized researcher with a focus on the use of advanced functional imaging modalities and quantitative imaging for development of novel imaging biomarkers to improve risk stratification therapy planning and endpoint evaluations, in patients with breast cancer, rectal and cervical cancer. Today, we take a deep dive into all of the technology around breast cancer screenings from MRIs and the traditional mammography to ultrasounds and MBIs. It's all here for you today in our episode.
1: The most common supplemental screening modality is ultrasound, but that's not because it detects the most cancers of all those modalities. In fact, it probably detects the least of those modalities we've mentioned, with the exception of, of 3D mammograms, which detect a little bit more than 2D mammograms. But we don't really consider that a supplemental screening modality. That's really becoming the standard of care for women to get 3D mammograms now.
2: Actually, the way how molecular breast imaging started originally was that this technicium 99 n is cardiac agent. It was used for patients you know, who are going cardiac stress tests by cardiologists you know, that's something that has been going for, you know, decades. And what they noticed that when they were doing this cardiac stress test and imaging heart, that they found lesions in their breast, that something would light up in the breast. There's this
1: idea that women are get very anxious at being called back from a screening mammogram or needing to have follow-up, which is certainly true. But I think, most women that I talk to tell me they would rather be safe than sorry.
0: Welcome to the conversation. Thank you both for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Happy to be here. Happy to be
0: here. Thank you. Dr. Dibble, let's start off with you. If you'd like to introduce yourself and where you're calling from. Sure.
1: So I'm a radiologist and I work at the Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. And I, after my radiology residency, I did a fellowship in breast imaging. So that is, you know, mammograms, ultrasounds, breast MRI, breast biopsies, that sort of thing. And then I went on to do another fellowship in nuclear medicine and molecular imaging, um, which is sort of uh, different from other kinds of radiology because it's really looking at kind of function and kind of metabolism as opposed to anatomy, which is what a lot of the other types of imaging Mm. we do um, is looking at. Um, and so now I practice in both breast imaging and, and nuclear medicine and molecular imaging at Brown um and do some research in those areas, particularly related to breast cancer.
2: Wonderful. Thank you. Dr. Rausch, can I turn things over to you? Happy to do so. Um I actually did two residency. You know, I, uh, Dr. Debu was talking about doing um, uh, residency in radiology and then additional training in nuclear medicine. I actually did residency in nuclear medicine, and I also did residency in radiology. And um, and uh, I did this post residency in Houston at Baylor College of Medicine, and. Uh, I um, did additional fellowship in uh, breast imaging and uh, then I stayed as a faculty at uh, MD Anderson where I am practicing uh, right now and uh, my specific area of interest is you know I, I love breast imaging I love nuclear medicine also so this functional imaging use of this functional imaging modalities for women with um, breast cancer or for women in general is something that is my special, one of my special areas of interest, let's say that way. And uh, one of my research is about use of functional imaging modalities for um, diagnosing and treatment of patients uh, with breast cancer. Wonderful. Thank you. So we clearly have
0: the experts here with us today. And I'm excited because, you know, when I think about breast imaging, I was diagnosed at the age of 34 and I did not have any, any history of breast cancer. I didn't even have my very first mammogram yet. So when I went in for a diagnostic mammogram because of a concerning lump that I found and advocated for myself to go through and get a, ma- a mammogram, they were taking so many pictures for a diagnostic, right? there. I think typically there's four and then the six and different screens that they're using to kind of look at the nipple and the chest wall and everything. And it was incredibly overwhelming. And then fast forward a couple of years, I, you know, was a candidate for a lumpectomy. So now I'm still going through a mammography screenings, you know, every, every year, every six months, depending. And the, the screening compared to a diagnostic was much less. And so my very first experience was, you know, having so many images taken versus just like a check-in to make sure everything is looking normal, et cetera. So that was my first experience. And so maybe that's a good place to start in terms of informing our our listeners about when they are going in for just a regular breast screening, what can they expect in that experience? Dr. Dibble, do you want to start off there? Yeah, I'm happy to answer that question. So
1: screening mammograms are for patients who have no symptoms at all. So no lumps, no pain, nothing um, of any particular concern. They're just sort of there to get, um, to get screened for breast cancer. Um, and we recommend that for women at average risk, they start doing that at age 40 and they do that every year. Um, and so when they come in for their screening mammograms, they'll will typically interact with the mammography technologist. and the technologist will bring them into the room and they'll get typically two pictures on each of each breast, right? One we call it in the cranial caudal view, and then one kind of from a lateral view. And then that's it. They'll go home and then usually, you know, that day or the next day or a couple of days later, their mammogram will be read by the radiologist and then their report will be ready for them. And that is, Different from a diagnostic workup, like you were talking about, where if a patient either gets called back from their screening mammogram for something that looked a little suspicious or a little bit of a change on the screening mammogram, and we need to do additional images, or any patient that has any kind of a a symptom or is being very followed very closely for some particular finding, they would have diagnostic imaging, which means that um, they would have either mammogram and or ultrasound. done for their diagnostic workup, where we do some extra special kinds of views with the mammogram to try to get a better idea of what's going on. Um, And then depending on the finding, they may have an ultrasound as well. And then they typically will get their results at the time of their exam from from the doctor. So a couple of different things with diagnostic imaging.
0: So this all happens in real time while the patient is there, the doctor will look at the images and then make a decision and follow up.
1: Yeah, in real time. Yeah, exactly. And we we may or may not actually speak with the patient depending on kind of what we're seeing. Um, But, you know, if a patient comes in with, say, a palpable lump, pretty much they're always going to see a radiologist who's going to want to come and examine the patient herself or himself and scan the patient um, directly. So that's not something that would happen during a screening workup.
0: And I'm always curious too. So what are you looking for when you're looking at these images? Because, you know, I think, and there's probably so many of us on on the call listening, and you know, we're we're lying there, we're vulnerable. And you kind of get this like x-ray image of your breast tissue. And I'm always trying to look at it and be like, what do I see? What do I see? I know nothing. I I can't see anything, (laughs) right? I see, you know, a lot of white cloudy areas. I see some I I know they're not veins, but like I see like lines, they look like spider webs, um, you know, and then I also try and like read people's faces. I'm like, okay, do they see something? Like, are they going to give me a clue? So tell me a little bit about in your line of work, uh, behind the scenes, not in front of the patient, when you are looking at the actual images afterwards, can you give us a sense of, of that, that work and what you're looking for?
1: Yeah, sure. So on the mammogram to start with, we, so one of the most important things is comparing it to prior imaging. So if the patient is, you know, has had a few years of screenings before, we always want to make sure we have those available to us because we're looking for any changes um, for one thing, any kind of a change, anything on the mammogram that looks like um, we a mass, we basically call anything that kind of takes up 3D space a mass. Mm. There are calcifications that we may see on the mammogram and some of them are obviously benign and we don't have to worry about them at all, but some of them are are not clearly benign. So we would want to do some extra kind of workup of those to, to see what's going on there. Um, and then other kind of subtle things like architectural distortion, which looks like sort of the tissue is almost pulling in a certain area, like pulling mm-hmm. to a certain point, that can be a very early sign of cancer. So there's a lot of kind of subtle findings that we, that we look for when we're looking at the mammogram. And you alluded to kind of the the gray and the white <laughs> and the black of the mammogram. So it's basically an X-ray. Um, so that means that the fatty tissue in your breast looks dark on the mammogram, and the fibroglandular tissue looks lighter on the mammogram, almost like a white color. And then, depending on the density of your breast tissue, it looks kind of the white to black ratio is is kind of increased or decreased depending on your breast density. And cancers tend to be that whiter lighter color, mm-hmm. um, which is why they can be more difficult to to detect on on women women who have dense breast tissue.
0: Absolutely. And that's a great segue, Dr. Walsh. If I can ask you to kind of expound upon that and let us know, what do we need to know about our dense tissue, breast density? Um, Is that something that women should be aware of um, going into breast screenings?
2: Uh, That's an excellent question, Laura, because yes, Definitely. Uh, women have different density of their breast and we have even different categorization of the mammograms depending on the how dense their breast is. And when we talk about dense breast, it's, we talk about this ratio black and white that Dr. Dribble was describing. So more white, denser your breast is. That means that you mm-hmm. have higher amount of the fibroglandular tissue. And your mammograms looks whiter, which that's what we call denser breast. And why uh, and why it is important, as Doctor Dibble just mentioned, you know the cancer also looks white. So if you naturally have denser breast, you have more white on your mammogram. And if there is a cancer that which also usually looks like white, it is more difficult to detect. Mm-hmm. And this is why for women who have dense breast or extremely dense breast, these are two highest category of the breast density. It is more difficult for us mammographers to detect cancer in women with this breast, with a dense or extremely dense breast. And this is why there is now discussion about possibility of needing of supplemental imaging modality that would help us to detect cancer in the woman with a dense breast. Mm -hmm. And there is legislation actually going, you know, about that necessity to put, like when we read screening mammogram, we would need to mention that that this patient has a dense breast and uh, inform them about that. And maybe there is a, and which is limitation for us to detect uh, uh, cancer and they might need some supplemental imaging to, uh, Further evaluate, and this is whole different topic that you know what supplemental, what is, what's the best way to what imaging modalities can be used, and uh, uh, it's just like molecular breast imaging actually one of the imaging modalities that have been evaluated as a supplemental imaging modality for women with advanced breasts.
0: Yeah, that was exactly going to be my next question when we think about supplemental imaging, right? Is, is that kind of a blanket term to be used in terms of ultrasound or MRI or molecular breast imaging, or is it specific to one of those modalities?
2: It's more like blanket term. It can okay. be ultrasound, it can be MRI, it can be molecular breast imaging, yes. Yeah. So. In your
0: experience, you know, you know, Dr. Dibble got us to this point. She's like behind the scenes, she's looking at these images, she's identifying whether or not the patient has, you know, dense tissue and or if there's reason for concern. Dr. Roush, at this point, how would you make a determination in what the next supplemental um imaging should be? How do how do you discern if it should be MRI or molecular breast imaging, or an ultrasound?
2: Okay. That's a good question because there is no answer to this question. There yeah. is no official approved or recommended supplemental imaging modality for women with advanced breasts, you know? Okay. So that's a big question for the page. This is big question for research and, uh, you know, w- because that is something that has been actively debated and studied in the uh, breast imaging uh, community and um, there is you know i would say no right answer to that uh do you agree
1: i agree but i would add unless a woman is at high risk for breast cancer and then there is consensus that the supplemental screening modality should be MRI. Okay. So any so that's defined as a woman with a, a calculated lifetime risk of greater than 20% compared to the average risk, which is 12%. And so there are multiple, you know, models for calculating a woman's or a person's lifetime risk of breast cancer. Um, and if one of those models kind of comes, puts you above 20%, then you should really be getting screening with MRI in addition to screening with mammography. But there's for everybody under 20%, which is the majority of women, right? It's about about 85% of women are not high risk. That that's where we kind of get into that gray zone.
0: Right. Right. So there's understanding if you're at high risk, there's understanding if you have dense tissue. And I'm sure there's also, you know, resource restrictions as well and what hospitals have access to some of these technologies um, plays a factor. I'm sure, and insurance. I mean, there's so many layers, I think, when we're trying to get the best healthcare for ourselves.
1: That's absolutely right. The most common supplemental screening modality is ultrasound, but that's not because it detects the most cancers of all those modalities. In fact, it probably detects the least of those modalities we've mentioned, with the exception of of 3D mammograms, which detect a little bit more than 2D mammograms. But we don't really consider that a supplemental screening modality. That's really becoming the standard of care for women to get 3D mammograms now. So ultrasound just happens to be relatively inexpensive, and it's very easy for breast imaging divisions or departments to kind of work it into their regular workflow. We already are doing breast ultrasounds. You know, it's easy for patients to undergo an ultrasound. Um, so it's kind of very easy to just incorporate into your clinical workflow. So, And we know that we do detect a few additional cancers per 1,000 women screened with ultrasound. So it's a reasonable, you know, supplemental screening modality. But some of these other more functional modalities definitely do pick up some extra cancers at ultrasound and mammography do not.
0: Can you explain to us a little bit about false positives? This is a term I hear and some concerns people have about these various modalities and supplemental screenings, et cetera, and the potential of receiving a false positive. What does this mean? Can you break this down for us?
1: Yeah, so that's that's a great question, and false positives has been one of the big reasons why some of the um, some of the recommendations, sort of haven't haven't said that you need to start at age 40 and, and screen every year, like USPSTF, mm-hmm. which they just came out with just their updated out. draft update guidelines, right, where they now finally say, yes, start at age 40, but do it every other year. One of the big reasons for that is this concern of false positives. But most of us in the kind of breast cancer community um, are not as concerned about that, because what that typically means is that someone would So say you got called back from your screening mammogram, you have to get some extra pictures. The vast majority of the time, it it turns out to be nothing. Um, Or it's possible patients may need to get, you know, follow up like every six months for a couple of years kind of thing, or may have to undergo a needle biopsy that turns out also to not be cancer. So those are kind of the false positives with the most common one being you come back in, you get some extra pictures and are told that everything is fine. So I think the, there's this idea that women are get very anxious at being called back from a screening mammogram or needing to have follow up which is certainly true but I th- most women that I talk to tell me they would rather be safe than sorry
0: right
1: 100%. It's definitely a risk benefit thing. And then as it relates to supplemental screening definitely some of these modalities have higher pol- false positive rates than others which may mean, you know, additional follow up or biopsy that turn out not to be Cancer, So that's with ultrasound, that was a big concern when we started doing ultrasound screening back, you know, over a decade ago, because we were um, kind of biopsying and following more things than we needed to. But once we got, you know, a little more experience, a little more comfortable um, figuring out which things need biopsy or need to be followed, then those rates kind of came down to it and, and what we consider to be sort of acceptable rates where we're not kind of following, you know, everything and biopsying everything and not finding very many cancers. So um, reasonable, I'd say reasonable rates now.
0: Thank you so much for that thorough explanation and helping us understand the pros and cons and the risk benefit analysis, I would say of, you know, the false positives and getting that call back. I completely concur that within our community, we would rather know and, you know, deal with that moment of anxiety than not know. I'd like to turn things over back to Dr. Rausch. Another modality that I would like to dive into is molecular breast imaging. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Okay, so that's a definitely a very important question. Yes, we need to understand what is molecular breast imaging. That is actually molecular breast imaging. This um, nuclear medicine imaging modality, or so-called, but we call it functional imaging modality, where Patients get injected technetium ninety nine m maybe, which is radioisotope, and uh, uh, this radioisotope is getting taken by uh, lesions within the breast. Actually, the way how molecular breast imaging started originally was that this technetium ninety nine m maybe is cardiac agent. It was used for patients, you know, who are going cardiac stress tests by cardiologists. You know, that's something that has been going for you know decades. And what they noticed it when they were doing this cardiac stress test and imaging heart, that they found lesions in the breast. That something would light up in the breast. Uh, so the, there was a lesion in the breast, and this technetium system maybe in addition to going to the heart, will go to the lesion in the breast, and it turns out to be a cancer. So cancers were detected, like incidentally, in patients who were receiving cardiac scan. So that actually led uh, to development of the molecular breast imaging. Originally, actually, it was called best-specific gamma imaging because, you know, these cardiac detectors are huge. And, you know, and breast is relatively small. So, resolution of these detectors to find lesions in the breast was really very bad. You know, it had to be two centimeters of lesion in order to be detected. And that led to the development of so-called breast-specific gamma imaging, which is uh, where they develop special detectors just for the breast and this, the breast was positioned between the uh, detector and uh, another. Um, uh, it was actually only one detector for breast-specific gamma imaging. Uh, and images are, were obtained just the same way as we do for mammogram. Molecular breast imaging, what we call molecular breast imaging, its uh, difference from breast-specific gamma imaging is that we have two detectors there. In breast-specific imaging, there's only one detector. In molecular breast imaging, we have two detectors, practically, and type of the detectors are also different. And the breast is positioned between these two detectors just the same way as for mammogram. So we have this craniocaudal caudal view, MLO view. So comparison with mammogram is very uh, easy. And what's most important, there is high resolution. It's dedicated breast imaging now, and we can see very small lesions, you know, like resolution is going to a few millimeters. So very small lesions can be seen with uh, molecular breast imaging. Mm, And the difference, I would say, from mammogram is that it takes longer to obtain these images. So for each um, view, mm, it takes about 8 to 10 minutes Uh, and when we do for the two breaths, all uh, length of the imaging is about uh, 40 minutes because we need to do two views for each breath, 8 to 10 minutes uh, for views, so it gets about 30 to 40 minutes of uh, imaging time. And final images that we see, they are functional images, so if there is a lesion in the breast, this technetium system maybe gets accumulated in the breast and it's just like flush bulb you know. And what is also um, important for molecular breast imaging, the breast density that we are talking about does not matter because you know this uh, technetium is accumulated in the lesion. Irrelevant of the density, if it is very dense or not dense at all, the detection of this lesion does not depend on the uh, uh, presence of the fibroglandular tissue or of this whiteness that we see on mammogram. So that makes, is, I would guess, special. And this is what makes it so helpful, uh, especially for women who have dense breasts.
0: Of course. And so, you know, I think the easy follow-up question is, well, if it's easier to see these lesions, why aren't we all doing this? Right. And so are there outside of the false positives that we talked about, are there limitations or concerns um, someone should be aware of in terms of the radioactive tracer that they're using?
2: Yes. Okay. That's definitely a good question. The Major, I would say, limitation or concern that have been raised in general in the breast community is radiation dose. Because the technician in our system maybe is getting injected. So it's a whole body radiation dose, mm-hmm. uh, which is then specifically, you know, as I said, accumulates in the breast, but it also, you know, Uh, uh, getting excreted uh, with urine uh, and and, uh, getting excreted through the uh, GI tract. Uh, So, uh, and the concern about the radiation dose, uh, which in general is higher than mammography, uh, has been something that um, has been raised in uh, breast imaging uh, community. And uh, mm, there has been work done on it where we decreased the dose of in 99 am- system EV that has been administered. We started with 20 millicurie, now we are doing 8 millicurie, and now there is a work on actually halving this dose to the oh. uh, 4 millicurie. And with decrease of this dose, this uh, radiation dose uh, will is actually coming closer and closer to the dose uh, radiation dose uh, of the uh, DBT. Uh, Yeah, that's great to hear. Yes, so that is something uh, active work has been going on now to decrease this radiation dose. So it is acceptable uh, by the uh, breast imaging community.
0: Wonderful. And so I'm trying to connect some of the dots here too because hearing – Your explanation of molecular breast imaging, and as someone with dense tissue, I want to go back out and say, okay, enough with the mammograms. I just want to get these MBIs. But I think what we were talking about earlier is that this falls also under that category of supplemental imaging. If I understand that correctly, that you would still have your your mammography screening, and then in the event that there needs to be follow up, you could ask your doctor if they would do an MBI. Also, is that Am I making those dots correct, or am I missing something there? Uh,
2: So, um, uh, practically, there are two ways to use of molecular breast imaging. It is um, uh, the way how uh, uh, we are uh, currently is ongoing uh, uh, trials showing that if it is possible to do um, the Uh, like alternating uh, molecular breast imaging and uh, uh, mammogram, for example, to do one year uh, just screening mammogram and another year to do molecular breast imaging. That will be a possible uh, option um, for uh, use of molecular breast uh, imaging. Uh, We are not talking here about completely replacing uh, screening mammograms with molecular breast imaging. That's not what, uh, you know, the goal
0: is. I know. I always have to be careful because I get so excited. And I know we have all all of our listeners like, okay, this is what I want. Is this for me? And so it's always nice to have kind of that context of, you know, still – you know, especially with something like medicine and healthcare, it's constantly evolving. To your point, Dr. Rasha, there's always these trials that are happening. We're learning something new every single day, every single year, especially with all of the great conferences that we're attending and new announcements and novelties are, are coming to market. So I really appreciate that. Dr. Dibble, is there anything else we haven't covered that we should let our listeners know in terms of, you know, Empowerment, understanding our breast health, understanding the different modalities that are out there, and the role nuclear medicine plays in screenings and diagnostics.
1: Yeah, we've we've covered a lot. I'd say I I would reiterate that mammography, mammogram screening, is really um, the modality of choice, right for for population screening for breast cancer. We know over decades of research the, how much that impacts um, the you know the Stage that we detect cancers um, and long term improves patient mortality. Which you're right, we we want to mm-hmm. catch these cancers as early as possible um, so we can treat them um, and decrease morbidity as well. You know, decrease side effects that patients have from the treatments. So that's really. Um, the number one kind of thing that that everyone needs to do, but then we have all these other modalities too that are that are floating around out there. Like I said, MRI is important for anyone who is at high risk for breast cancer, and then we have these other supplemental screening modalities that that um, like ultrasound for women with dense breast tissue, like molecular breast imaging, um, like contrast-enhanced mammography that. Some things like especially molecular breast imaging and contrast enhanced mammography and something like abbreviated MRI, which might be used for supplemental screening, that really, your access to those may really depend on where you are, right? What Mm -hmm. the institution has to offer for additional screening or supplemental screening. So those type, those things are not available everywhere. Um, Right now, there are about 30 sites that are using molecular breast imaging in clinical practice. So it's not like every hospital is doing this. Um, so whether or not you can you can get this may largely depend on where you are and what what your hospital is offering for you know for additional imaging, particularly in the setting of of um, women with dense breast tissue.
0: Sure. Oh, thank you, Dr. Rausch. Any concluding
2: words that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, I guess you know I would uh, first I would like to thank you for inviting us and to be part of this po- podcast. Definitely, I can see how confusing it can be be a patient, and there are so many, you know, new modalities that are available, and there is such a even, you know, maybe confusion, especially for somebody who is trying to figure out what is best for them, and um, uh, it's, um, I, you know, and about specifically. Uh, you know, for molecular breast imaging, which is, you know, functional imaging modality, and uh, it is not available everywhere. Uh, I would advise uh, for patients like Society of Nuclear Medicine site, we mm-hmm. have actually list of sites where it is available, and uh, on the website of SNMA, they can see the list of sites where this modality is specifically available and they can check if this is something that they can use and uh, consult their uh, primary care provider if this is the modality uh, uh, that you know can be used uh, uh, for them. Uh-
0: that's a really great point. I'll definitely link to um, the SNMMI website. And then I think you were also mentioning any like clinical trials and stuff too. Like, if there's any resources that you think um, our breast cancer community would benefit from, please feel free to send me an email afterwards, and I'll include them in the uh, description of this podcast and make sure that we get um, the information into the hands of the people who need it most. So I appreciate you guys taking the time This weekend, to be on our podcast, Breast Cancer Conversations, and sharing your expertise and advice and really breaking down some complex topics to answering all of my questions. So, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you, everyone, for listening to our show. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always contact your medical care team. Our podcasts are made possible because of donations from listeners like you, so please feel free to make a contribution through survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash donate. And there are so many ways to get involved with our nonprofit and our organization, not just through listening to the podcast, but through all of our virtual programming. So you can check out all of our lineups by hopping over to survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. And as always, all of our programs, services, and resources are absolutely free. Thanks again and keep on thriving.